Hi, and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm David Averbach, CEO and publisher. We just watched Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference. It's the annual developers conference they hold, um, releasing all the new software for your iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Mac, and beyond. And so we are going to give you our main takeaways from the event and make sure that you know all of the new stuff coming to your devices this fall. So uh, before we jump into all the updates, David, do you want to give us our sponsors for this episode? Sure. Well, we have two sponsors. We're fortunate to have two sponsors for this episode. But right now, I'm going to tell you about our first one, GoBuddy. GoBuddy has a really excellent collection of affordable products that are uh, great for your iPhone, great for your iPad. And today, I'm going to tell you actually about uh, one of their unique products and that is they have a line of products for Father's Day. And these are for these are watch holders. They'll work for your Apple Watch, but they also will work for any watch. So if, if you are looking for a Father's Day gift, a last minute Father's Day gift, and your person you're buying a gift for has an Apple Watch or a traditional watch, they have a wooden case, it's beautiful. They have a vegan leather carrying case. So make sure you look for it. We'll put it in our show notes at iphonelife.com slash podcast, or you can go to Amazon and type in GoBuddy, G-O-B-U-D-I. We also wanted to take a moment to tell you about a special promotion we're running right now for 30% off iPhone Life Insider. That's our educational platform that teaches um, you really everything you need to know to master your Apple devices, including We've got video guides, if that's the way you like to learn. We have, uh, you get the full archive of our magazine, iPhone Life magazine, that's been around for over 10 years. We have um, online virtual courses. We have an upcoming photos app course that if you sign up now, you'll, you'll be in in time to join us for that. You'll also, we'll have a course on iOS 15 as soon as it's available this fall. So learn all about the iOS 15 features today and then learn how to use them uh, with Insider. You also get our Ask an Expert service. So we help you find solutions to all of your tech problems and you get one-on-one -on -one support for that. Um, and you get an ad-free version of this podcast. Plus, I know there are more features that I'm forgetting. You get daily video tips. Uh, we send you a one minute video tip every day teaching you something cool you can do with your iPhone. So if you sign up, basically we take care of you and help make sure that you are really getting the most out of these invaluable devices that Apple sells us. And so go to iPhone Life, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I know we're about to talk about iOS 15, and when iOS 15 comes out, the day it comes out, we'll release a comprehensive guide for you all. So subscribe now so you get it when the day, the day it comes out. But also, even though we're talking about iOS 15, Apple last month released iOS 14.5, which actually was a huge update. It was um, debatably, it felt like as big of an update as a lot of their previous operating system updates are. And so we have updated our iOS 14 guide for everything you need to know for 14.5. So if you have AirTags, if you have an Apple Watch and you want to unlock your Apple, your iPhone with that, or there's so many changes to the Reminders app, to Siri. So we'll walk you through everything you need to know for iOS 14.5 now, and then iOS 15 when that comes out. So you can go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount to claim 30% off your subscription. This is a limited time offer, so go take advantage of it now. 
And uh, without further ado, let's get into our WWDC coverage. I'm so excited to <laughs> talk to you about what you what oh, you thought of man. all this. It was a jam-packed event. It was so much. My head was swimming. <laughs> I know. I mean, I do have to start out just by saying I am a little sad because with everything we got, we did not get the new MacBook Pro that yeah. we talked about in last episode. And I know you specifically were wanting to, you were going to buy that. <laughs> I had my checkbook out. I was ready to buy it. Um, no, and it was funny because we were talking about it internally because I do, so a few of us need new computers. And I, I gave this whole speech. I'm like, I know that every year there's rumors that there's going to be new devices at WWDC. And every year they don't have new devices at WWDC. But this year I think will be the exception. And then, of course, as always, it was not an exception, and they did not have new devices. So a little sad on that front, but I should have known I would get my heart broken. <laughs> I know. And really, leading even in the two weeks since our last podcast, the rumors were like mounting for the mm -hmm. MacBook Pro. Like It seemed like it was going to be a sure thing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we will get it eventually. And we did. We, we, there's a lot of software features more than I was expecting. So that does help make it, up for the fact that we didn't get that. It computer. does help. And my get, it'll either be September, October. It's definitely coming this year. So that's the good news there. Okay, so big picture, Donna, what what would you say was your like overarching takeaways? Um, besides the fact that Apple had some really strange uh, virtual <laughs> event practices this time around, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that the Apple had did some really significant updates with um, FaceTime. It's it's like really becoming more of a potential competitor to Zoom or I mean, kind of like mixing some different features from other video chat platforms that I'm excited to talk about. Siri got some really exciting features um, and there was tons of privacy features. Um, but like with iOS 15 particularly, I really feel like Apple was trying to help us use our devices to live in like this new post-COVID world where we're mixing between working from home and working in offices and still trying to like divide our attention um, and compartmentalize our lives in a, in a way because there is ways to have social interactions through your phone, ways to work better through your phone. And then now these new modes, you can use your phone to, to help you focus on whatever it is that you're trying to do. So I think Apple is like, realizing that after the pandemic life is different in a lot of ways and like helping us to live better in the post covid times <laughs> what yeah. about you what are your main takeaways i would agree with that i think you know if there were a theme to this it would be life after the pandemic <laughs> right <laughs> like it seemed like everything was kind of thinking through both like the fact that it might be a while before life fully goes back to normal for a lot of people. So how do they, how do we make it better for them to stay connected while also stay focused at work? Things like that. It felt like there was a lot of attention on that. So that was the first thing. Second thing I would say was normally during these announcements, they have very clear sections. They have iOS 15, they have Mac OS, they have Apple Watch OS, and they had sections this year but they all sort of blurred together. And I think one of my biggest takeaways is Apple is starting to think of itself in its product lineup as much more of an ecosystem. And we'll talk about this more throughout, but it was kind of unclear sometimes when we were talking about products or when we were talking about new features, like 
which we would even talk about them for. And Apple struggled with that. And they had these sections like privacy and home and health. And all of those are kind of new sections they don't normally have. And they span across the entire lineup. So that was really mm -hmm. interesting as well. And then I think my third and final takeaway is that uh, as we sort of talked about, it was jam-packed. This was a huge update for Apple. Like a lot of times when you're sitting there watching these, there's one or two things. You're like, oh, that's important. It was, I couldn't keep up. You and I were doing commenting in the Facebook group, which by the way, to do a quick plug on that, if you're not mm. in our Facebook group, you should be. It's amazing. It's a way for you all to interact with each other and help each other out through with their tech issues. So iphonelife.com slash Facebook group, and it'll redirect you. But nor, you know, we do this every year, commenting about the event in the Facebook group. I couldn't keep up. At some point, I had to just stop because it was flying by so fast. It was two full hours, and events are often two hours. But this time, it felt like uh, because it was all pre-recorded, they could move at a faster pace. So what they fit into those two hours was like a lot. I know, and like to that point, we're probably not going to be able to get to every single feature. We're going to have to take like broader strokes talking about yes. um, the overall themes today. Uh, and we have on our website, iphonelife.com, we'll have more in-depth articles on each and everything because there's just too much to even to even talk about all of it. And a lot of it was very like substantial changes. They weren't just, oh, this app has a redesigned, like refreshed look. Like they were like, yeah. oh, this is a feature that actually makes a difference in a big way or like protects my privacy better or um, is more like has new features in this app that I could, didn't have before. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Um, I just wanted to add the point you were saying that the theme of the event was like life after the pandemic. I'm like, that would also explain the social awkwardness from the presenters <laughs> that I am feeling in daily life now. I'm like, oh, uh, how do I act as a person? I think that Tim Cook and team has always been socially awkward pre-pandemic as well. Um, but just to You're echo right. something you said. A lot of times when I'm watching these announcements, at least 20 to 30% of the things that are announced, I kind of roll my eyes. They're kind of just fluff things that I think nobody really cares about. They're not that cool. Kind of the classic example is like when they announced on the Apple Watch that you could share your heartbeat. And they had like a whole commercial about sharing your heartbeat. And have you ever once shared your heartbeat with anyone, Donna? Not on purpose. Yeah. Like maybe I did <laughs> by accident once or twice. This year, though, by contrast, it felt like almost everything announced, with a few exceptions, was stuff that was really valuable. They focused on things that was really going to improve the operating system. So, okay, without further ado, let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. So um, I also wanted to do a quick note on availability of all the software coming out. The developer betas are going to be available tomorrow, or no, today, sorry. Um, the public betas are going to be available in July. We don't have an exact date on that yet. And that, just for anyone listening who's not familiar, um, something you might want to consider, and we'll probably do our next podcast to help you decide. Um, it's, a, it's a version of the software that has some bugs, but does allow you to get hands-on time with the features early. And you can install that on your device, assuming it's not super old, which we'll have to... Um, We'll have to do a double check on compatibility for some of these different softwares. But anyways, July for that. And then the public release is in the fall when the new iPhones ship. Um, so usually that's late September. Yeah. And yeah, so iOS 15. 
we kind of gave you the spoiler of what the overall theme is, which I think is life after the pandemic. <laughs> but FaceTime, let's talk about that first. Yeah. What, what um, some of the new features to that, uh, what the new features to FaceTime are. Sure, yeah. So they were they did a lot of cool stuff with FaceTime. It really felt like they knew, and they were right, I think, that FaceTime was behind the times. Like, everybody's been using Zoom. Not a lot of people have been using FaceTime. So one of the major corrections they made that is really obvious in order to allow FaceTime to compete with products like Zoom is you can now use FaceTime if you do not have an Apple device. So you can share a link to an Android user and they can use FaceTime. So that right away opens up the whole platform to being able to do family calls and things like that because it's hard if- It's huge. It's pretty common that not everybody in the world has an iPhone. Uh, In addition to that, they had a couple other really cool things. A lot, and we'll talk about this throughout, but they did a lot of focus on audio and what they're calling spatial audio. And in this case, how it works is, and I don't know how well it'll work, to be honest, but it basically, uh, on the classic FaceTime layout, you kind of have people at different spots on the app, uh, and the, the audio will sound like it's coming from the location within the app. So if somebody's if somebody's face is located in the top left corner, it'll sound like they're talking in the top left corner. Which I'm really curious. I mean, does that, I'm so skeptical that that'll work. What do you think? It sounds cool. I'm just laughing to myself though, because one thing they're announced too is that they're gonna have a grid view. Uh, Cause one of the things I hated about FaceTime group calls and it's made me avoid it, is how Apple currently has these weird like little bubbles for each person that recede and yeah. get bigger depending on who's talking, but it doesn't, it's just annoying to not have manual control over that. Um, and it doesn't always like match up with what is actually happening on the call. So I'm glad they're just going more to like the classic grid view that you have in Zoom. That's like usually what I use in Zoom. <laughs> yeah, and I like totally. Just seeing things that way. But no, I'm in totally intrigued by the idea that like if they can, make it sound like the voice is coming from like where you're seeing it on the screen. I feel like I like that idea in theory, but um, we'll have to see. What I would say is I like the fact that Apple has been putting a lot of attention on audio lately. And I think that there will be, I think we'll notice overall in Apple's product lineup a benefit from that. This particular use case I'm a little skeptical of. The other thing they did for audio though that I'm actually excited about is they seem to have put some attention on audio quality and in particular filtering out background noise and it's hard to say again without getting hands-on how well it's going to work but it does but like if you're doing a call like from a coffee shop or at home when you have kids running around it's chaos and so i i'm optimistic that that will actually be a feature that makes a large difference uh similarly though they also have now portrait mode so it'll blur your background just like it does when you take a portrait photo and that seemed cool as well yeah and they announced this for the mac i wasn't didn't catch whether it's available on your iphone too but that they're like have modes that make you look better too because <laughs> i feel like <laughs> at least this past year um on Zoom, sometimes it can be an unpleasant surprise when you turn on the video, like for work, and you have to like, look at your face all day. So I'm like, yeah, maybe some, uh, some, uh, what do you call it? airbrushing would be nice. <laughs> I, don't know. I well, actually feel I have mixed feelings about that feature. It's, but, like, it's kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I, but at the very least, I mean, it depends how far they go. Like, you don't want it to look like a Snapchat filter where it's like all of a sudden <laughs> your eyes are huge and you know all that. But like, also, I feel like. <laughs> 
Webcams are particularly unflattering, and Apple I know. is particularly unflattering amongst webcams. And so just a little bit of attention to like lighting in the background and quality of lighting, quality of the image, uh, goes a really long way. I mean, I'll tell you because we're recording this on webcams. I don't know that I, if you're watching, I don't know that I look particularly well lit, but we have so much attention going to my lighting right now. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to just make it look well lit. No, I agree. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about all these features. Do you think it's going to be enough to make you use FaceTime? <laughs> um... Yeah, I think so. Because I actually don't love Zoom either. What I would say is for work purposes, I, I don't think we will switch over. But I think for yeah. personal phone calls, I, it might make me be more inclined to do Zoom cause, or to do FaceTime. Because Zoom, especially for personal phone calls, is a real hassle. Because you have to like go into the Zoom app, create a link, text in the link. FaceTime does have the advantage of being functioning a little bit more like a phone where you can kind of FaceTime call somebody. So I, I could see myself using it more. I also like that, um, like in my best friend group, we have like one Android user. And so yeah. I just like that now, like it, that's caused us to use other video chat platforms, but now we can include her. And another nice thing about it is <laughs> if it's just, um, if it's just sending a link, it's nice for people who aren't that tech savvy that they can just join without having to create any kind of account. Like Zoom has more, like you have to get like all set up before you yeah. start using Zoom. Um, at, whereas this, it sounds like you'll just be sent a link and it will open in a web browser if you're not, if you're on a computer or you're on an Android device and you can like join without having to have any sort of like tech know-how, which totally, is nice. Totally. The um, other, the other feature to move along here that felt really pandemic related, but also I think it'll still be nice, but kind of frustratingly late was the feature they're calling SharePlay which sounded really cool. It basically, what it does is it allows you to, I mean, there, there's a few features baked into this. So one of them that I thought was particularly cool was you can watch videos together now. Mm -hmm. So you can like, and it, and it ports over to Apple TV as well. So you could do a FaceTime call where you're watching a movie with somebody while they're remote, which I felt like that, that functionality has been really missing for the last year while we've been socially distanced. I know, like I, if this was available the past year, I would have been so happy. Um, when I, like, there have been times where I've been texting friends throughout a yeah. show and we're like a few seconds off. So I'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And they don't know it yet. <laughs> this would really avoid all of that. And then it's nice too, cause it has like in the corner, a little FaceTime video, like you can see each other too. Yeah, totally. Um, so that seems cool. It's like, I don't know if, any of you listening have done watch parties, but it basically lets you do that. Like Amazon yeah. has that feature. Um, but you, again, with a lot of these other, like Amazon, you weren't seeing a video. You, there was, you weren't able to like have the video um, chat going at the same time. You just had a text chat. So this is a little cooler actually. Um, and, and then you also like can listen to music together. It seems like it'll be more music. universal too. Like it seems like it'll work across most platforms, which is really exciting. The other thing that I was baked into the same update called SharePlay that I, I mean, I can't tell how much I'm excited about this professionally versus personally, but uh, the ability to share your screen, uh, which is really cool if you want to help, if you want to troubleshoot something going on in the iPhone, which is why professionally I'm really excited because we have so many times where somebody will email us and they'll say, hey, I have this weird thing going on and they'll try to describe it 
on email with screenshots and so many times you just need to be able to see their screen to be able to like figure out what's going on and it feels like mm -hmm. there's a billion use cases for the ability to share screens and why it'll be useful but in particular in order to help people with, who are having who are stuck with their iphone it feels particularly useful yeah no i agree i think it's cool um I with SharePlay, I, I had a question for you about it. Now I can't remember. Oh, I was going to say, I saw all, they're opening it up to third parties and they, they had a list of all of like, you know, Hulu and um, lots of apps like that that are going to support it. But Netflix was not on the list. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think so. Amazon Prime was either. Yeah. So it won't, it won't probably be like everything, but it's going to have a lot of them. A lot of, you know, I think HBO was supported and yeah, a lot of exactly. the other main ones. Um, but yeah, let's move on to new features since there's so many. Siri, so I wanted to many. talk about the new Siri updates because I'm really excited about this. Um, Me too. Along with new voices, which that wasn't the part I was excited about. Siri is now going to have on-device voice processing. Yes. And so that means that, uh, that means that for it's protecting your privacy. It's not going, you're, like all of your conversations aren't going to Apple servers. It's like staying on your device because... Even though Apple already has a strong stance on privacy, in order to use um, hands-free Siri, technically your phone has to always be listening in order to hear when you do say, hey, Siri. And I at least anecdotally have had the experience of um, feeling like even conversation, I'm like the ads will target me even based off conversations. And I don't know, I mean, I'm not a security expert, so I don't know if this is, like anecdotal or not, but this gives me some peace of mind that I'm not being eavesdropped on. Yeah. Well, okay. I think there's a few layers here to this one. So um, certainly there's a pretty large privacy concern with the fact that anytime you ask Siri anything, it has to go through the cloud. So even though they say it's encrypted, it's still like there's a lot of areas there where somebody could get access to your Siri information. So being on device helps. Now, as far as third-party apps listening, because Apple is usually not the culprit, it's the typical thing people talk about is like Facebook, all of a sudden you, you're talking about something, then you open up your phone and you see an ad for it on Facebook, even though you never searched for it, that sort of thing. They Apple added a different functionality, which um, I'm going to bounce around here, sorry. But it basically, you can. there's a section where you can see when, when third-party apps are accessing uh, your different uh, functionality in your phone. So a lot of times what ends up happening, Facebook is a typical example, is Facebook asks to access your microphone so that you can record. I think it's like so you can do audio searches. I can't remember why, but there's some reasons why you may want to allow Facebook to access the microphone. But then you don't know when they are or are not accessing this information. And so that's where it could be, even though Facebook denies it and it seems unlikely, it could possibly be that Facebook is, in fact, using that to listen in on you. And so now there'll be a section in, in your on your iPhone where you can actually see when Facebook is accessing your microphone or accessing your camera. Because camera is a good example where, yeah, I want Facebook to access my camera for when I'm taking a photo, but not like randomly throughout the day. Um, but to circle back around. Definitely not. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. it happens enough anecdotally. I've heard enough people complain about it where it, it gives me pause too for privacy. But to circle back around, the Siri on device is kind of one of those situations that Apple is 
really great at, which is it's the best of all worlds, because not only does it create more security and privacy for you, it also is actually better functionality. Because there's a lot of times where either I'm like on an airplane and I don't have internet, or if I have spotty internet, or even if I have good internet, it's just slower to use internet than do on-device processing. So Siri is going to be faster. You can use a lot of functionality even without having internet, and it's secure. So that one, I agree. I was that one stood out to me as being a great addition. Yeah, uh, and you said it was faster. That was the big yeah. point. The other, yeah, like they gave a little demo, which is of course until we tried ourselves. It's you know how I don't know how meaningful the demo was, but. It, like the responses were so much faster. And I really think that with Siri, one of the main reasons I don't use it more than I do, even though I actually, I do use it daily. Um, but there's certain things I don't use it for just because it'll take a long time and be like, let me think about that or whatever. Yeah. And it's annoying. So, um, so I'm excited to give that a try. Well, it's pretty crazy when you think about it because like the, Apple has their data processors in North Carolina, I believe. So what that means is when you say like, hey, Siri, schedule, put this in my calendar, it literally has to go all the way to North Carolina, process it in their data processor in North Carolina, and then come back to your phone. As opposed to now, it just happens on your phone. Like, of course it's going to be faster. Yeah, so it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Um, another interesting feature was iCloud Plus. Um, yes. And so that's like, if you already are paying for iCloud storage, any of the iCloud storage... Um, levels, you'll get iCloud Plus included. So it's not, even though all the other Plus services of Apple are like an extra expense, this one's not. Um, and hold, let me pull up for a second what what all iCloud Plus includes, um, unless you have that on hand. No, but I could sort of talk a little bit about it as you're pulling it up. Um, sure. Basically, it's an extension of Apple's privacy push. I won't call it an agenda because that sounds nefarious, but it is an emphasis on privacy. And so it's very similar to VPN. When you're browsing the web, they basically route your uh, your IPN number th and anonymize it so that you can then, a website won't be able to know who is visiting the website if you're visiting from an iPhone and by doing that, they won't be able to add that to their data. Uh, so a lot of times, this is similar to what they just came out with iOS 14.5, which it, it, it aims at the same thing, which is preventing companies like Facebook from building these huge advertiser uh, profiles on each person in the world. And these companies know like everything about every website you visit. So with iCloud Plus, it, it anonymizes your web browsing uh, with iOS 14.5, they anonymized it in app and third-party apps. So this takes it one step further by anonymizing your web browsing. It's essentially a VPN so that then p companies won't know if you're visiting their website or be able to build a profile for you. The other thing it did, it does the same thing on email. So on email, you can what publishers do is they'll track, they'll embed a little pixel and track whether or not somebody opened the email or clicked on the email, and it prevents them from being able to track that as well. Right, yeah, so they've got it's the feature along with that email, you know, blocker, I guess, tracking blocker is called Hide My Email. That's a part of the uh, yeah. iCloud Plus bundle too. So anytime you enter your email address into a company for, like, say, a newsletter or something like that, 
you can um, have a single use email generated from Apple that will still forward to your email address, but um, it's not like giving your email address away to anyone. Yeah. Uh, so that's included with it too. And that was already it's part of sign in with Apple, which is Apple's own sign in service, but you can now you like have the email part generated without using sign in with Apple. Yeah. Uh, then like you said, the VPN, um, and they're also introducing new features to help manage your iCloud account. So for people like if you forget your login, there's more options for recovering that and also a digital legacy feature. This is interesting. Yeah. That lets you choose like one person to um, grant access to you to your device basically if you pass away. Yeah. So okay, let's let's talk about this. I, we're gonna have to go quickly on this stuff, guys, because there's so much. Um, in my opinion, the iCloud Plus is really controversial. I think that not all of the things they added are a net positive. In particular, email tracking as a publisher is something that like we rely on really heavily. We're it's like, really no! important to us. It's not something that is a privacy violation and it also is not something that big companies like Facebook use. So it's particularly targeting publishers, which really hurts. Um, so, yeah, but that's, I, I think like maybe- how you build a relationship with your readers is, you know, that's like the a main avenue to do that online is through email. Yeah, exactly. And it's really not being used to build like a big profile on somebody most of the time. Um, but that's maybe a conversation for a different podcast. Uh, but the thing yeah. that is really cool, in my opinion, is the digital legacy because it happens so often where somebody passes away unexpectedly and the loved ones really care about capturing what was on their phone. In particular, all their treasure trove of photos just get lost. And Apple, rightfully so, really protects the privacy of a phone even if somebody's deceased. Uh, because, of course, we all have that nightmare of the reverse happening where somebody's getting access to information you didn't want them to because you're not here anymore. Um, but this is a really nice middle ground where it allows you to basically uh, leave instructions for after you pass away so that people can – and you can – it looked like you could go item by item. So you could say, yeah, let them access my photos, but don't let them read my text messages, for example. Um, and we actually – I mean, we get emails, honestly, on a weekly basis of people asking how to handle this. And we have to – we send them – instructions the best of our abilities but there's not a lot you can do and so uh, it's really rough and people get really you know in the middle of a tragedy can be really upset about it so i'm really glad apple's addressing this, that one i agree and i think that um just giving more user control over that is really great i like that you can go and choose you know it doesn't have to be all or nothing access to mm -hmm. your phone because like it keeps you know so much on there that it feels like a blunt tool to just have it be like all or nothing necessarily. Yeah, yeah. But it is something I've been thinking about more lately where you're like, oh, like what's going to happen to all my stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that feature. Uh, some other features that were interesting was that you can now um, move, we're moving in the direction of being able to have your IDs on your phone. So yeah. for things like, like Apple's working with TSA, soon they'll be accepting your ID stored in your phone through Apple Wallet. That would be so nice for travel to have one less thing. So if you have your boarding nice. pass and your ID all on your phone, that's all you need. You don't need to be like, you know, uh, 
scrounging through your things to make sure you have that. Also, key sharing, if you have yeah. like a new phone or a new key system, you know, a home uh, kit key system for your home, you can virtually allow someone to have keys to your car or home, which is really cool. I'm really excited about both of those um, because, first of all, I have a smart home. I have a smart lock, and it's really convenient to be able to give somebody access remotely but in order right now how it works is the only way I can do it is I have to force them to download my third-party app, which is August. They have to download the app. They have to set up an account, and then they can do it. And they it's so easy for somebody to get tripped up and confused along the way. And it's a real hassle for often they're doing me a favor, and then they have to go through all this trouble to set it up. So if they have an iPhone now, I can easily give them a key without making them do anything. And that's, that's really cool. Really cool. Similarly... I have a fob for my car, but I know Tesla lets you just access your car with your phone. So if if that becomes a standard thing where I can just start my phone, my car with my phone, and then I don't need to carry on a car key, and that would be really cool. Yeah. And now the other feature this that I was I'm intrigued by. I don't know if excited is the word because I'd have to try it first. But it fits into the theme of uh, creating a more like healthy digital life. And that is these new notification settings. Like there's a huge overhaul that Apple is doing with uh, your notifications, including no, new uh, modes for your phone. Yeah. They're called It's called Focus. And so you can have different modes depending on what you're doing, including working or working out. Um, I can't remember what some of the other ones were, but you could tailor your notification preferences and create your own custom home screen based on the mode you're in. So if you're working out, you could have widgets that apply to working out and only allow, I don't know, like emergency notifications to come through. And like just with, there was something like four or five different modes that you could do. And I thought it sounded really cool. I like the idea of um, basically like being able to compartmentalize your life more. Like if you are working from home, it can feel like both in your house, there's no boundaries between work and the rest of your life anymore. And then your phone is definitely that way too. Like a lot of times I'll be using my phone for work, especially at iPhone life when we're testing things on our phone. And then I'm getting messages and notifications from my personal life coming in and it's um, really distracting. And so help with that sounds good. On the other hand, I think it sounds like kind of a headache to set up and could end up being confusing and sort of like messing with the nice simplicity that Apple has going with its phones. So I'm a little torn on how that's going to go. What about you? I agree. I think the devil's in the details and we haven't seen enough to know. I'm intrigued by the idea of like having, not having an all or nothing do not disturb because a lot of times, um, actually it happens a lot on my computer where like Especially if I'm in a meeting or something, I'll just put all my devices on Do Not Disturb, and then I miss a lot, um, which is, you know, the point. But having sort of a little more fine-tuned control over, like, oh, I want to focus at work right now, but I'm going to allow, like, say, a text message from this person who I'm waiting for a message from uh, seems cool. I'm guessing, though, I think I agree with you that I think the reality of it is I probably will never use it. It'll probably be one of those things that seems cool but just is never quite doesn't never quite works and it's going to take a lot of energy to manage so we'll see i like the idea of it the other thing that they said they were doing which i thought was cool was in terms of the notifications they're having um 
they're going to show like use AI to understand which notifications are more important to you and which ones are less. And I couldn't quite understand how it worked, but it seemed like they would make it easier for you to see the notifications you cared about and sort of like instead of just having a chronological list of notifications it'll be in the order of importance Um, because a lot of times I'll have like a huge list of notifications especially like I have a smart like I said I have my smart home I'll get like 10 notifications saying that like my security camera outside my house has been activated because somebody's been coming and going outside my house all day and then I'll miss a text message that was buried in there because I didn't see it so having a prioritized notifications I'm excited about I don't need chronological to be honest yeah, I was a little confused by that because already a couple years ago, Apple introduced notification stacks. So yeah. already it's like stacking your notifications by app or just by like relevant things. So they're already moving in that direction. But uh, my understanding of this too is that part of it, there was a feature they called summaries that you could have like once a day, have your like lower priority, what they deemed to be lower priority f- notifications um, displayed to you in a certain ways you could sort of like for instance browse through all like the latest podcast updates or whatever but that they didn't deem to be super important that they needed to um uh send to you in a more persistent way Um, i think that could be cool for like my social media addictions where i used to have notifications turned off for instagram but then People would message me sometimes and I would miss it and I would want to see it. So I had it turned on. But really, if it just summarized once a day all the notifications from Instagram, that would probably help with my addiction a lot. So I think there's certain apps like that where you may not want instant notifications, but you don't want no notifications. And having that middle ground sounds nice. Yeah. It sounds like what we're going to need to do is have a notifications course or workshop <laughs> because once they have all this stuff, it's going to be more of like a project to go in and like make sure you have everything set up the way you want. <laughs> oh, man. iOS 15. It's jam-packed. That was another takeaway, yeah. too. Just overall, when we were going over it after the announcement, it, oh, the announcement overall was huge, but really I felt like iOS 15 – hit the ball out of the park and some of the other ones not as much so if you're listening yeah. to this and thinking wow they just talked a lot about i was 15 that's sort of why is there was a lot in i was 15 and some of the other ones are a little bit less jam-packed let's put it that way yeah before we move on to some of the other ones um david do you want to tell us about our second sponsor for this episode yeah our second sponsor is it fits right into our theme of life during and after the pandemic and that is phone soap <laughs> Phone soap has this really excellent product that basically sanitizes your phone. Uh, it kills bacteria and viruses from your phone. You just It basically looks like a little mini tanning bed for a phone. You stick your phone in, you close it, and in like, I can't remember how much time. I think it's a couple minutes, though. It kills all of that, it, including coronavirus, FYI. Uh, and... There's a lot of products. Phone soap has been out for years. So there's a lot of products that flooded the market uh, when the pandemic started. And the frustrating thing is it's not FDA regulated. And a lot of these devices don't actually work. Um, And so phone soap is science-backed. They've been around for years and years. They're not new to this. And it is a really excellent product. They're really passionate about what they do. So make sure you check it out. We'll link to it in the, in the show notes at iphonelife.com slash podcast. 
And I did want to do just one last plug for our 30% off our iPhone Life Insider subscription right now. And that's iphonelife.com slash podcast discount. I just had yes. a moment where I'm like, what is it? But yeah, <laughs> uh, limited time. So take advantage of that while it lasts because it's a great deal. And also if you are a senior service personnel or veteran, you get an extra 10% off of that on top. So a total of 40% off, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about iPad OS 15 next, which this is gonna be a lot shorter because they're, while um, the iPad is gonna get a ton of the iOS 15 features we just talked about, like Siri, for instance, the on-device um, voice processing that will like apply to the iPad too, like a lot of the things apply across devices, um, but there were not as many that are iPad specific. Yeah. I would say to me, what stood out the most as significant is that Apple like spent a good amount of attention on improving multitasking features and making them what looks to be more user friendly. Um, again, like without hands on time with it, it's hard to really know like what that will be like. But um, I, for instance, like with split view and slide over, those are features that allow you to do a lot of closer to desktop like work on your iPad but they're not that intuitive and like unlike a lot of features on your iphone they're they're hidden you have to know how to do it in order to make it happen it's not just um there's nothing intuitive about it in my opinion yeah. and it seemed like these the the improvements make it more intuitive what do you yeah. think so i have mixed feelings about this um <laughs> so i those who listen to the podcast regularly know I despise multitasking on the iPad. I think it is so unintuitive, so not user-friendly. If you can pull it off, it is helpful because multitasking inherently is a really useful thing. Um, I'm saying that in part because sometimes I, get, I hate on multitasking so much that people send me emails defending it. I understand that it can be valuable, but it is so hard to use. I have taught classes on how to use multitasking, and I still struggle it with it every day, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and we for sure did. You're right, though. We had people who have spent the time to learn it who love it. So it can be useful if you spend it, but I think you do have to invest the time to really master it. And even then, it's just not intuitive. Like, I understand how it works, and it happens to me all the time where all of a sudden I'm trying to, like, I have, like, all of a sudden I'll accidentally bring in something that slides over when I didn't mean to, or vice versa. I'll try to, like, make something be in slide over mode and it goes into multitasking. It is rough. So the fact that Apple acknowledged that seems like they made real improvements. Like it really looked easier to use when I saw it. And we'll, we'll have to see when we actually, when I actually get hands on, but it looked a lot easier to use. So I'm excited about yeah. that. That's One example. The good, yeah, go ahead. Like I was going to say, like, cause I feel like we're, I'm trying to like verbalize what the actual changes looked like, which they had this thing in the app. When you go into the app switcher, you see all of your recently opened apps and you can create workspaces. They already had that before where you could like pair certain apps together so that you could like keep going back to certain apps in split view with a certain window open in each app and it would like take you back there. And now you can like go and mix and match and put together different apps really easily in the app switcher. And they had a thing called like a shelf that would have I can't remember exactly how the shelf worked, but it looked like it had like different tabs of of um, any single app that you could that um, 
you could have like several different combinations of one app in a little view at the bottom. I'm sorry, I feel like that description like is gonna mean nothing to people listening. Uh, so maybe it's better to not try to get too specific about it. Well, but it did I'll, seem it's I'll easier to like mix and match bit. different apps. <laughs> yeah, it seemed easier to get into multitasking mode between apps and figure and decide which apps were in multitasking mode. And then the shelf seemed like, although it was a little hard to even understand because they went so fast, but there's a few apps where it lets you have multiple versions of it up. So for example, for Safari, you can have multiple windows of Safari on the iPad up, but then it got really complicated to figure out which of the many Safari windows you had up and how to switch between them. So it mm-hmm. seemed like the shelf was a way to handle that and that you could visually see and navigate between. Um, so all of Much these changes- better description, thank you. Oh, yeah, I <laughs> hope I'm accurate because it, they went quickly and I only saw it once. but. All of it did appear to be addressing the issues that I have with multitasking. That being said, here's my <laughs> my major caveat. Apple has for years been promoting the iPad as being a laptop replacement. In particular, this year, they added the M1 chip to the iPad Pro, which is the same chip that they use in the iMac. It is a really, really powerful device at this point. And in my opinion, the thing that's holding the iPad back from being a legitimate laptop replacement for people who actually need to do like a lot of heavy lifting work with a device is the operating system and in particular to multitasking. And yes, it did appear that they made it a little bit easier to use, but relative to how powerful the Mac operating system is in terms of multitasking, it's nowhere near that, in my opinion. The operating system for Mac is just so much more powerful to allow for heavy duty work. And when I say heavy duty work, I don't just mean like video editing. I mean just like the type of work I do, which is like sending emails and writing like writing articles, things like that. Even that, I need a more heavy duty multitasking and more heavy duty operating system than Mac or than iPad. And I don't think they did that. I don't think they really accomplished that. So while they made it easier, I still think that the iPad is an overpowered device that one cannot use for real work. I know. It's it's unfortunate, but true. Like I'm a little bit like, what? What is? Why did they add the M1 chip to it? I mean, it'll be faster, which is good. But. Yeah, and I love so, my iPad. Just I don't use it for work, and nobody I know does. Yeah. So other features of iPad OS, um, there's more widget options, uh, including contacts and Find My. Which Find My now that there's like Air Tags and third-party devices, you can track with that. I was kind of excited about that widget. Yeah. Um, there also looked like there was like a bigger widget option than what you can get on your iPhone. They also added the app library, which we got to the iPhone in the iPhone last year. You can now also have that on your you now also have that on your iPad. Um, and that of that is the new way to organize all of your apps. Um, and like also you get an alphabetical view of all of the apps you have installed on your phone. I really have found it to be overall a better way to um, better like app management, even though I know it's like somewhat controversial and not everyone likes it. <laughs> I, I love the things. app library. Um, in general, though, the iPad OS update, it was weird in that, yes, multitasking seems better, but the other updates were sort of like things that they had added to the iPhone last year. 
app library we had on the iPhone last year. They added the Translate app to iPad, which sure, I'm happy to have it, but like we had that on the iPad, we had that on the iPhone last year. We had a lot more widgets on the iPhone last year, so it didn't feel like they did a lot for iPad OS this year. Um, but no, it felt like a bizarre omission, like that they didn't have the app library on the iPad. Yeah, I literally said, "Oh, they don't have that," <laughs> which is never a good sign for an iOS or for an iOS update. Uh, yeah. I'm realizing, though, I know that we have a lot to cover here, but I feel like we missed um, some cool features for iOS that I just want to circle back around to for a second. Sure. Um, so cool. There's some really cool features with photos that we totally missed. Ah. They have now one of the weird live text. Things, yeah. Okay. So that's the first one. Live text was so cool. So you can now take a photo, and if there's any text in the photo, it, it's what's called live text. So you can copy that text. You can highlight it. And what's cool too is even if it's handwritten. So they use an example that actually I do all the time, which is if I'm writing, we'll be in a meeting, we'll write a bunch of notes on the whiteboard, and then we're like, oh shoot, we're leaving, we need this data. I'll take a photo of the whiteboard. Now you can literally copy that and it'll it'll automatically transcribe the text into like written text and you can email it. You could even like, they had some really cool examples of like, you could take a photo of a sign that was in a different language and translate it. You could like take a photo of somebody and if, if you saw the restaurant they're at behind them, you could like look up the restaurant and call the restaurant. That was some really cool, like crazy technology there. Yeah, it's like bad news for certain, I um, there's certain notebooks that I've tried before that work with the iPhone where you write on the page and like they're erasable, so they're nice for that, but mm -hmm. you like scan them into a special app and all that. And I'm like this now, if I ever take handwritten notes or want a journal in an actual journal, you can just take a picture of it and like translate it if you want a digital copy of yeah, it and actually totally. have that be searchable, which is really nice instead of just like a photo of it. Yeah, it was really cool. And then also, one of the weird things for I was 14 was they actually kind of got rid of a feature that I really liked, which was the ability to create these photo montages. And they they kind of made it so it was really tricky to do and only worked in certain circumstances. And it seems like they're bringing them back now in a much bigger way where you can now, like, if you went on a trip to Colorado, you can create, like, a little, like, photo montage really easily of the trip. And they integrated it with Apple Music so it doesn't just have their cheesy little jingles. It'll play with, like, any song from Apple Music and it'll coordinate the photos and videos to the music. So I thought that was really cool. I wanted to make sure we brought that up before we moved on. I'm I'm surprised you're ex you're ex <laughs> excited about the memory movies with all of those. I always feel like it's like not what I would have chosen for myself. So it's like feels like a random assortment of photos that weren't my favorite necessarily. I'm not gonna lie. I also am surprised that I'm excited about it. It's <laughs> it's one of those things where like I don't know. Ten years ago, David would roll his eyes and say it was cheesy. But maybe it's like the stepdad in me now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it must be. I think it is. But like after a trip, you get so many photos, and I like to like see a little highlight reel. And I know that it's cheesy. <laughs> I'm not even gonna defend it. But I really like, do like. I like socks with sandals, and I like memory movies. I must be a stepdad. <laughs> no, I don't like socks with sandals, Donna. Too far. <laughs> That's so funny. And I don't yeah, wear cargo no. shorts. 
I mean, <laughs> sure you don't. Yeah, I think that if if they do it better than they currently are doing it, I'm I'm I'll be open to seeing how it, how I like it. <laughs> I have no interest in convincing you that it's cool, but I oh I am excited. <laughs> it is not cool, but I'm excited. I'm glad. <laughs> okay, so we moving on to Watch OS eight. I feel like there's still more iOS fifteen features that we're forgetting. But oh, I know there's the feature called Shared with You. It applies to the Photos app, but also a bunch of the other apps, um, app, other of Apple stock apps, and. This is controversial, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate it, that it will um, serve up all of the content that people message you. So if someone messages you a photo, it'll show up in your shared with you section of the Photos app. It's like a new section under the For You tab. Um, podcast is the same thing. And I also think uh, I'll have to look up with the, the list. I have it here. Oh, Apple Music, News, Safari, Podcasts, and Photos will have that like anything people send you will show up there. But I'm like, I don't know that things that, you know, that like if my aunt sends me a podcast that I should listen to that I don't want to listen to, I don't know that I want it like in my, pod, my <laughs> podcast app. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, and then the really controversial one, which is I, I think controversial because it both seems good and bad, is it does that for photos. Which is cool, like, yeah. I've complained for years that the photo sharing functionality is really lacking. Like, you go on a trip and everybody takes photos, and there's there is not like a, it's not easy to combine them and collaborate in an album. I know they're shared albums, so don't email me. But I, uh, it's not easy. <laughs> and so this feel, felt like it was nice if somebody sent me a bunch of trips, a bunch of photos from the trip we went on. I would easily in, and automatically import them into my photo library. The, the downside of it, of course, and I don't quite know how to like say this in a <laughs> diplomatic way, sometimes photos that people text each other do not belong in the Photos app, and you don't want them automatically imported. And yeah. so the fact that it's just going to automatically put photos in there uh, might be problematic for some people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like with a lot of serious suggestion, like uh, the AI that Apple's improving, it's like, it makes your life a lot more convenient, but it verges into a bit invasive where it's like, it's taking the control out of your hands to have like what you want in each app. And it's sort of like, this is what I think you want. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's like what features like that can make me a bit uncomfortable. Cause like, what if you don't want those photos? Whoops, uh, there goes the AirPods. There goes one of my AirPods, but luckily <laughs> the AirPods work with just one. Yeah. Okay, so moving along to Watch OS 8. Um, this one is also, it was a little light, we thought. There are some new f health features that were exciting, um, but there wasn't like a whole ton of them. So there are new workout types in the fitness app, Pilates and Tai Chi. And so I feel like part of the reason I wasn't so excited is I feel like that's like a little niche. Not everyone does those, but for the people that do, they'll be excited about that. Um, there is also new fitness workouts and a new instructor in the Fitness Plus app. They acted they like, do you, had you ever heard of Jeanette Brown? No. I had never but heard they, of her It must be like either. a celebrity workout instructor. Yeah, they acted like they had like Oprah or something. Like they acted like it was this huge deal. And I had never heard of this person and nobody I talked to had heard of them. So maybe she has a very loyal following. But it certainly yeah. was not, it didn't land 
with our audience here. <laughs> no. I mean, one of the features that I think is actually the coolest is there's um, you, now you're able to track your respiratory health at night. Uh-huh. That, that seems was cool. Si- that seemed more, like, significant and more, like, would apply or be appealing to a greater number of people. Because I feel like Apple Fitness Plus, too, it's cool. I like it. But that's not, like, you have to have an Apple Watch and you have to want to try this subscription service and potentially pay for it. Yeah. Um. So that no, was less exciting. I, I knew we were in trouble when I saw how long they talked about the fact that they added Pilates and Tai Chi to the workout app. Because that was like the smallest of small updates, like really not exciting update. And they talked about it for a while. I actually think that a- Apple Watch OS update might be the the only one that was disappointing to me. Um, yeah. It really was There's not a lot there to sink your teeth into. They talked a lot about the Photos app for the Apple Watch too, with like the a lot of the updates that they that we just talked about with iOS 15 also apply here, where they have memory movies you can play on your Apple Watch and like an updated look if you want to have a photo on your watch face and things like that. But um, that also feels like somewhat incremental and not like your Apple Watch is your smallest display. So for me, it's not one that I'm going to be spending a lot of time viewing photos on. Yeah, exactly. It felt like cool. Like it's sure it's probably worth updating the photo app, but like it's not what anybody's ever doing on an Apple Watch. It's such a small display. I know. So cool. Any any photo someone texts you will just pop up on your Apple Watch face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't true. know. I don't know, man. They did very little. I mean, the only thing I'll say is the Apple Watch interface. Oh, no. The, here's what I will say. There was one thing that I was very excited about. They made it easier to text. And that was a big deal. Yes. Because that's something that I would like to do more of on my Apple Watch. Because a lot of times a text will come in on my Apple Watch and I will want to send a quick response. And right now they give you three options. You can either dictate the response or you can have one of their canned responses or you can do the what they call like the scribble mode. The problem with these three options is like the obvious one that you want to do is you want to dictate. But if you dictate the response and it gets it wrong, then there's nothing you can do. It's very difficult to like go back and redo it. And scribble mode takes forever and their canned responses are bad. So now what they've done is they've combined all three into one view so that what you can do is you can start, I mean, typically I think what's gonna happen is you're gonna start by doing the like auto dictation mode, but then you can actually edit it by scribble mode. So like you can change one of the words if you want, or you could like, to go and make small changes and it made it, it looked like it was a lot a lot easier to actually functionally text somebody from an apple watch which is a big deal yeah and there are a few other things that are sort of extensions of other features that we talked about like you'll be able to use um, watch os 8 on your apple watch to as like a car key yeah that will be and cool. that Yes, yeah, so that'll be cool um also it's you can use your apple watch to track down other find my devices like AirTags, mm-hmm. and that's so so it's like it fits it it goes by kind of what you were talking about like a lot of these updates are ecosystem updates um that end up like affecting all of the apple devices but aren't necessarily like a watch update or an iphone update they're kind of like span across a lot of different devices they um, another my- thing too is the whole focus mode thing that we talked about on your iphone where you can 
set your phone for like work notifications and a work home screen. That'll also apply across your Apple Watch and your Mac too. They updated my favorite app of all time, the Breathe app. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, David was raging about this earlier. (laughs) I hate it so much. I do not need an app to remind me to breathe. It's like an automatic function. So Uh, what's the new thing with it that makes it even worse? There's two things, really. The first one, which I actually am fine with, they renamed it mindfulness. So it's less about remembering to breathe and more about being mindful, which I can 100% get behind. At least it's like a little less cheesy. The The slogan, though, I'm on their website right now. Their slogan is log in to your noggin. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's so bad. I have never heard worse marketing, Apple. What are you doing with your life? The second thing is, and this is, I think, where they really lost me. Well, if they hadn't already lost me with login to your noggin. (laughs) Um, There's a section called Reflect in the Mindfulness app where you pause to reflect on your life. Oh, and like, no. And it I'm, reminds you to reflect? It reminds you to reflect. Okay, but- now I'm raging. I Like, <laughs> if in the middle of a busy work day, if it, my Apple Watch is like, it's time to reflect yeah. on your life. No, and no. that's exactly it. It's like, I actually am all for mindfulness meditation. I'm all for taking time for meditation, for whatever you need to, like, get through the day and feel centered. It's just the fact that my Apple Watch is not the appropriate medium to remind me, especially an <laughs> automated reminder. <laughs> so if in the middle of a meeting, work meeting, David, if I'm like, sorry, sorry, I need to stop and reflect. My Apple you Watch won't be needs understanding. me to reflect. I'll be like, Donna, it's important. I get it. You have to log into your noggin. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, another controversial, speaking of um, the kind of serious suggestions type thing, as part of focus modes, when you have um, do not disturb on, now if someone texts you, it will auto respond telling the person that's texting you that you have do not disturb on and that you'll like it's presumably something about that you'll get back to them later or something. Oh, see, I actually liked that. I thought that was cool. Yeah, because I have Do Not Disturb on pretty aggressively at night. Like, it's at 9.30, my Do Not Disturb goes on. And so, first of all, like, quite it happens pretty regularly. Somebody tries to text me after 9.30 at night, and then they just don't hear from me till the next day. Uh, So it wasn't, like, a text message, though. It just said something like, David is in Do Not Disturb. I think You know how, like, Slack um, says that? Like, I can see if I want to message someone in Slack that they're, like, they're in do not disturb mode. Yeah. So is it something like that instead of making it sound like you're texting me back being like, I am in do not disturb mode. Yeah, which was better. Like I don't like the auto respond while driving thing. But no. I think what I think where it shows up is like where it normally says delivered, that little like te- gray text that says delivered. Instead it says do not di- they're on do not disturb mode. Oh, okay. Yeah, that feels that feels way better to me. It's sort of just like um, a lot of messaging apps will show you like someone's status, whether they're online or away or something like that. So it sounds like more like that and not that people are going to think that I wrote them a weird text message about my do not disturb status. Yeah, exactly. And it does seem relevant because like there's a lot of times where if you send somebody a message and they take all day to, they, to write you back, at least it's like a cue of like why that it's not personal. Yeah. All right, so we have one last, uh, we want to talk about macOS Monterey. Um, Already this is a long episode, so we should 
get through this pretty quick. And then we, of course, want to want to ask you our question of the week to hear um, what you think of all these updates. So first, though, let's talk about macOS Monterey, yes. which again, like really iOS 15 was the biggest one to talk about this. There was like a few key things that I thought we should touch on here. Um, first of all, was universal control there with macOS Monterey. You can now use one keyboard and um, trackpad across multiple Apple devices. So you could have like a nice Apple workspace set out with like your iMac, your laptop and your iPad and like use your mouse and trackpad across uh, and keyboard across all three of those, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And it was really interesting functionality because those of you who are super tech savvy know they already had something called is it sidekick or sidecar i can never remember sidecar sidecar and basically what it was was if you have an ipad and you have a mac and they were like you know a newer model of both you could have turn your ipad into a secondary display for your mac which was really cool and basically it was like you could take your mouse and you could drag it over across both um, so it's a similar functionality, but there's a critical difference here where Sidecar uh, side basically takes over your iPad. And your iPad is no longer an iPad. It is just a monitor for your computer, which is really nice. Like I actually would use it sometimes at coffee shops because you have a two-monitor display at a coffee shop, which was wild. But what this is is different. What it does is it lets you use your mouse and keyboard on multiple devices, but it does not take over the device. In other words, the iPad remains an iPad with an iPad operating system, but I can take a mouse and move it across and all of a sudden if I like am on my Mac, I can move my mouse over and use the mouse on the iPad as well. So it's less about giving you more screen real estate on your Mac and more about it's sort of like taking the continuity features and putting them on steroids. So the examples they used, which were kind of cool, was you could take a photo that you'd taken on your on your iPad and you could click and, and you could literally drag it over to your Mac. So if you're doing video editing, for example, you could like drag it over into the video editing software you were using. Things like that, where it was more like you could drag things across. And so it was really easy to like access information you had stored on one of your devices and easily bring it over to another one, as opposed to screen real estate. Does that make sense? Totally. I mean, to me, it seems probably like 100 times more exciting than Sidecar, because Sidecar was really just turning your iPad into just like more screen real estate for your computer. So it wasn't really bringing anything that exciting to the iPad per se, even yeah. though it's useful. Whereas this, it's like you get a taste of, I mean, already you can get a third party keyboard type situation um, for your iPad, but being able like you it's been harder to transfer files from your iPad to desktop. Um, like, I mean, you, like you can do it through AirPlay. And I mean, um, not AirPlay. What's the feature? AirDrop. AirDrop. But um, being able to just like drag and drop is really nice. And then yeah. also um, being able to use your iPad, like opening apps and doing things as you usually would, but with a keyboard and mouse is nice. And yeah. Um, does make it feel more like a desktop type experience. Although, I mean, it's not, <laughs> we, we were talking about the iPad still has a long way to go, but it like gives you more of that experience, which is nice. 
It fit very cleanly into the kind of realm that we were talking about right in the beginning of the overarching. One of the overarching things for this announcement was Apple as an ecosystem as opposed to each of their operating systems being independently. Because it's only Apple that could pull this off. It's pretty amazing to be able to have such tightly integrated software and hardware across multiple devices to just all you have to do is you set your iPad down next to your computer and suddenly you can just drag your mouse across to it uh, now of course you have to have like the newest Mac and the newest iPad um, but it was pretty cool I also don't I will be surprised I will wait to see the use cases I will be surprised if there's a lot of people that use this every day or even like regularly yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, having, like, all your devices set out like that. It's like most people don't do that all the time. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so we'll see. Other features that were cool is that Shortcuts is coming to the Mac. And um, the Shortcuts app, I fiddled with a bit on my iPhone, but haven't really dug into it. And I think that actually I'll be much more likely to spend the time to, like, figure that out and set up some cool shortcuts on my desktop computer because it's a mm -hmm. bit – it's not, like – super easy and intuitive and I feel like I'm uh, more in like it's just easier to set things like that up on a desktop computer don't you think yeah I mean I was more intrigued and I never use shortcuts on my on my um, iPhone so I'm interested in that and they also brought over just to kind of wrap the, uh, to bring in a few other features here they brought over a lot of the features we'd already talked about so it was a pretty large software update it's just that like Things like portrait mode on FaceTime we've talked about already. Same thing with the share play is brought over. So there's a lot of cool functionality that they're bringing across the entire platform, which I'm very excited about. And then Safari, I know you were really excited about tab groups. Um, yeah, I think the one of the biggest updates is the Safari update. They really redesigned Safari this time around, which will be really interesting. They have a whole new tab system, both in terms of the way they visually look, and um, they, they're kind of integrated into that top bar a little bit more in a very modern look. And what's interesting is when you click on a tab, the browser, the nav bar actually moves over, which I, I'm a little, in, <laughs> I don't know if it'll be nice or not. I'll have to try it out. Uh, and then the actually the nav bar is on the bottom of a web screen on mobile now, which will be interesting. But the tab groups is something. So it's like easier for your thumb to like tap on things. Yeah, I understand the logic of it, but the muscle memory of tapping up top for the nav bar feels very strong to me. So I'm I wait to see if I will be okay with it. Um, I actually am someone who I don't use. I don't keep tabs open. Like at the end of the day, I close my browser and all tabs are gone. How about you? Um, I go into, I've gone in different waves right now. I don't have any open. Now I kind of go periodically clear them out, but, um, I wouldn't say I'm a huge offender with having a million tabs open. Yeah. Uh, whereas I have like some friends and like my dad, for instance, who has, I'll look at his computer and just get overwhelmed even looking at it. And I'm like, he needs tab groups. He needs exactly. tab management. Well, that's Someone sort help of, this man. <laughs> that's sort of what, what I'm getting at. Because for me, I probably won't use this feature very much just because of my philosophy towards tabs. But 
there's a lot of people in this world that just really hoard tabs. Uh, my, our coworker Raf has like hundreds of tabs open at any given time. So what this feature does is it lets you basically group them. So mm -hmm. you can have like they use an example of like, and I think I might use it for something like this. Like sh the example they used was like researching a, a car trip to LA, and you're doing a lot of research in hotels and your and. Uh, you know, play, things to do, things like that. And you can put all of those into a tab group, open them up when you want them to, like when you want to browse that stuff. But if when it's time to work, you can close the whole tab group and open up your work tab group, which might be something totally different. Or like if you have a meeting, you can open up all the stuff around marketing that you have tabs that you need for. So I think it's, it's things like that. I mean, another example is like online shopping. There are actually some some guys we know are, are developing an app that would do something similar to this, um, where you would be able to like basically from different multiple sites be able to create like a shopping cart of things that you're considering buying. Yeah. Um, and so like you could use tab groups for that, and like then they showed easily the in the demo today they showed being able to drag that into an email and it like turned into a bullet point list with links to each of those apps in the tab groups. So you could easily like share the trip or whatever it is you're shopping for list with anyone via email or text or something like that. So I think I think I would use it for things like that. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a very cool addition. I don't know that I am the right person to use it, but I'm very excited to see all to see how it works and to test it out. Yeah. Um, last feature that, and this goes back to iOS 15 that we didn't discuss, um, that is like definitely an area that we could talk about at length, is just that there are health updates now where you can share your health information with yeah. doctors. Um, it makes it a lot easier to do that, to collect and share that data, which is great for tracking you know chronic illnesses or helping get a diagnosis for something so that seems like that could be very powerful and some more safety measures too where your phone can track things like the steadiness of your walking um, to make sure that you're not at risk for falling and things like that they already had fall detection but this would be more like preventive yeah i thought all of their health stuff was really cool the ability to share your health data with the doctor seemed really valuable because a lot of times you have this experience where you go into the doctor and you're like, oh, my heart's racing or something like that. And they say, well, we, you know, it's, it looks fine now. And so the, the fact that you can actually have like the data from your Apple Watch is really valuable. The fact that you can share amongst family seems great because especially for seniors or elderly people, they are often the most likely to use the health features of the Apple Watch, but may be less comfortable in the technology of it all. So you can have that and you can access that information when you need it. So for example, you could see when a loved one fell. Uh, things like that are really, I think, are great additions. Um, yeah. And then also the, and that yeah, you the can pro track more of it on your iPhone too. So it's not like all just on the Apple Watch. Totally. And even and not just in terms of like senior care, but like I, I'm actually I'll be interested to see how it works. But like there's a lot of health stuff like the health app ports in a lot of data in terms of like weight and activity tracking and things like that, that like me and my partner might want to share anyway. Like, you know, we both have Apple Watches track our activities regularly, and it, it's not easy to see how the other person, how many calories the other person burned that day. Things like that might be easier to share as well. It's a little unclear from their demo. 
Um, but yeah, I, I that's good good call bringing that up because all of that stuff seemed really great. Yeah. So for our question of the week, we want to say, what is your favorite feature from today's announcement? And along with that, I, I wanted to ask you what your favorite feature is, David. Yeah. Uh, but email your answers to podcast at iphonelife.com. Oh, man. Okay. I am trying to decide what my favorite feature is. Do you have one off the top of your head? Do you want to go first? Yeah. So my favorite one is the on-device voice processing for Siri because um, – you know, some of it is just having like worked on the iOS 14.5 guide and like becoming more aware of just like how much we like as consumers probably should be concerned about our privacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was excited to see Apple take this seriously. And also I think Siri being faster is just going to be uh, make the experience using Siri way better. Totally. I definitely agree. That one was really cool. I'm going to pick one that's a little more obscure, but I think will be particularly cool to my life, which is the all of the additions to Apple Wallet, the key sharing uh, and for, for the home, as well as like, I love, love, love Apple Pay. And so expanding that functionality to just easily access things like keys to my house or sharing keys to my house, all of that stuff I felt like was really going to be beneficial to my life. Um, so that one, I think is what I would say. But Overall, I would say iOS 15 was really exciting. The other operating systems updates were nice, but not in the same vein of excitement as iOS 15 I'm really excited for. Well, this has been a fun episode. Uh, I'm excited to like when the public beta comes out in July to start testing out these features. Yeah, as a, I mean, as a sub question, we'll, we'll probably ask this next time, but now I'm talking, so I will say it again. <laughs> uh, are you gonna get the beta when it comes out? Yes or no? Um, we'll have some debates, the pros and cons, because it can be a little buggy. We'll talk about it more later, yeah. but I am curious, like, are you all excited enough to get the beta? Or are you gonna wait till the fall? Yeah, we'll help you decide, but if you already have decided, <laughs> email podcast at iphonelife.com. Yes. Thanks everyone for all tuning right. in. Thanks. Good chatting with you, David. Nice talking to you, Donna.